Hello and welcome back to the Stumbling Through Scripture podcast. My name is Archie Catchpole. I'm a Bible nerd living in London and it is so fantastic to be back this week after a week's break. Uh, it's been a pretty eventful week. Uh, I'll share with you what happened. So I was so excited last week, right? I ordered a new microphone, which I'm using now. Still have to set up my like towel washing cave thing, um, but that's okay. Hopefully this sounds a bit better. Anyway, I was so excited to use it. So I, I delayed my podcast recording until the Saturday. The microphone was due to arrive on the Saturday morning. And so I was going to record it the Saturday afternoon. But on the Saturday morning, I was also playing football for LSTFC, potentially the greatest amateur football team you will ever be able to see playing live. Um, and we we're playing for them. Our captain, Toby Mason, he's all right. Um, missed a penalty like an idiot. And the rebound from that penalty, it went out for a throw. And off of that throw, I went for a header. And instead of heading the ball, I headed this other guy's head. And this guy, by the way, like he was absolutely, he's built like a tank. If you know Dribble Cissé, he's like him. He had like an eight pack that was showing through his top. And I'm built like a twig. So I was always going to come off badly. Anyway, went to A&E with this cut in my head. Got some stitches put in. But in the meantime, they were also doing like a CT scan for my head to check like concussion stuff and like blood tests and heart stuff, just procedural tests. And in some of those tests, they picked up some kind of abnormalities in my heart. Um, long story short, I was in hospital for a week. Um, it was all right. The food's not great. The company was even worse. But hey, I'm really happy to be home. I'm okay. And I've got like a heart monitor put into my chest so that they can monitor my heart rhythms and also so that Bill Gates can track me. Uh, and I'm back now, Stumbling Through Scripture podcast can continue. I know that you probably missed it, had withdrawal symptoms, all of that stuff, but it's back. And this week, super exciting, we're looking at Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33, how not to trap Jesus. This is the first of a couple of attempts from the chief priests, uh, the scribes, and basically the Jewish religious leaders to trap Jesus. So I'm so excited to dive into this passage. It's a really fascinating passage that we can really easily just look over as like, oh, Jesus is using his wit to get out of a tricky situation. And it is that, but it's also so much more than that. So we're going to ask three questions over the course of this podcast. Firstly, like, what the heck is going on? What's actually happening here? Secondly, what on earth is all of the hype about John's baptism? Like, why does Jesus ask about it? Um, why are the Pharisees so scared of like dismissing John? And thirdly, why did Jesus respond to the religious leader's question with a question of his own? So I'm really excited to dive into that. Let's get started. Okay, so the first question, what is this passage all about? Well, we read in verse 27 that again, they, Jesus and his disciples, come to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was walking in the temple, the chief priests, scribes and elders come to him. And like, this is such a simple sentence as Jesus was walking in the temple. But this is crazy. What on earth is Jesus doing just walking in the temple? To like remind you, like at the start of Mark chapter 11, at the start of this week, Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey as a king. And obviously we don't think of donkeys as particularly illustrious animals. Um, in fact, they're pretty pathetic animals, to be honest. But back in the day, like a donkey was a very royal, regal animal. It was like the creme de la creme, a Rolls Royce of animals. King David and King Solomon rode into Jerusalem on donkeys 
as kings and Jesus is doing the same. He's aligning himself with two of Israel's greatest ever kings, let's be honest, King David and King Solomon. And he's saying, yeah, I'm coming to Jerusalem. I'm your king. The crowd are going crazy. There's massive uproar. And obviously, ultimately, nothing happens at the end of it. Jesus just walks around the temple, then goes back to his Airbnb in Bethany. But then the next day, Jesus, I mean, there's the whole fig tree incident, which is important, but it's not public. It's just with Jesus and his disciples. The next big public thing that Jesus does is he goes into the temple and he flips over the tables. He like just wrecks havoc in the temple and he teaches you've made a den of robbers. Uh, you're thieves, like you're despicable, and God's closing this place down. That was just ludicrous. No one did that. That's crazy. Is he out of his mind? Um, obviously not. But that caused such an uproar that we read that um, the Jewish re religious leaders continued to look for a way to kill him. And so Jesus here, like verse 27, it's such a, a simple verse, but when you put it in its context, like it's mental. This is the third day in a row that Jesus has gone into the temple after making such huge statements that have put a target on his head. And he's just walking about in the temple as if everything's normal. It's just, just weird. It's, it's amazing. It's just audacious from Jesus. And throughout all of Mark chapter 11 to 13, we see that Jesus was teaching there the whole week. In fact, Jesus himself, when he's under trial, he says in chapter 14, verse 49, Jesus says that he was in the temple day after day teaching for the whole of Holy Week, the whole time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, he made a point of teaching in the temple. And so here Jesus is obviously in the temple, having like disrupted the public worship and basically said like, God's closing this place down. And obviously that's annoyed some people. So the chief priests, the scribes and the elders come up to him and they're like, by what authority are you doing these things? Like, who gave you this authority to do them? So like, in other words, like, who the heck do you think that you are, Jesus? And this group, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, they were a really fantastically important group in Israel at the time. So they made up what was called the Sanhedrin, which was the like supreme Jewish court. There were 71 members of it, although I don't actually think that the whole 71 members of the Sanhedrin came up to Jesus just to ask him this question. Probably it was just a select handful of them because 71, that's a bit intense. They probably got other things to be doing. Anyway, they had like complete authority over like the religious life of Israel and had some authority in political aspects, although they did want more authority over the political aspects. And Basically, they're heavyweight guys. They're serious. They're the Jewish religious leaders. You don't mess with them. And actually, in Mark, when the three of them, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, when they come together, that's a really ominous sign, right? Because the only other two times that the three of them are together is in chapter 8, verses 31, where Jesus is predicting his death. And he's like, these three will try and kill me. And then... In chapter 14, verse 53, it's the chief priests, the scribes and the elders who come to arrest Jesus. And so the three of them together, this is ominous. Something bad is bound to happen when the, the three chief priests, scribes and elders are there together. So this power triplet, the chief priests, scribes and elders, they rock up to Jesus and they're like, who do you think you are to do these things? By what authority 
do you have? And authority, that is what this passage is all about. That's one of the key themes that weaves its way through Mark is authority. Who Jesus is, what authority he has to be doing the things that he's doing. And it's always like a Marmite issue in Mark, okay? So ever since in chapter 1, verse 21 to 28, where Jesus basically performs an exorcism, we see that Jesus' authority, it, it confuses people, it amazes people, and it enrages people. People react strongly to Jesus' authority throughout the whole gospel. I mean, like we see Jesus forgiving sins, eating with tax collectors and sinners, ignoring the Sabbath, expelling evil spirits. And then, as I've said, like here in, in chapter 11, like entering Jerusalem as a king and clearing the temple. The authority that Jesus demonstrates and claims to have is such a like love or hate issue. Like people either love him for it or they hate him for it. And it just so happens that the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, they hate Jesus for it. In fact, in chapter 3 of Mark's Gospel, verses 22-ish, the scribes, they actually accuse Jesus of casting demons out by Beelzebul. They like accuse Jesus of, of driving out demons by a demon. But now the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they've had enough. They want to they wanna end Jesus. So they ask this and they're like, what authority do you do this by? And they're hoping that Jesus is going to say something blasphemous. They're hoping he's going to say, oh, I do this because I'm God's son. Uh, so that they can arrest him and put him away. And they just, they're fed up with Jesus. They want him out of his out of their lives. They're, he's annoying. And so that's what this passage is all about. It's about Jesus' authority and the fact that the chief priests, the scribes and the elders are, are challenged by it. They're scared of it. And they basically want to end it. Well, okay, so fine. This passage, it's about authority, it's about Jesus' authority, and it's about the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders hating Jesus' authority and trying to trap him into saying something that will put an end to Jesus' nonsense forever. But then Jesus responds with a question, and his question is about John the Baptist, which is you're reading and you're like, what? Like, Jesus, what level are you on? Like, that's not answering the question. What are you talking about? And so we are going to look at Jesus answering of the question later. That's our third question. But the second question is, what on earth is like all the buzz about John's baptism? Like, why is it so important? And if we understand John's baptism, then we understand why Jesus asked the question. To understand John's baptism, we've got to go back to the beginning of Mark's gospel. And so in the beginning of Mark's gospel, we read in verse 2, as it's written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He was clothed with camel's hair, leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and honey, like really, <laughs> really odd diet. What a weirdo. But he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. 
I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's so much going on there in that passage, in that description of John the Baptist. But basically, John the Baptist was the messenger who was preparing the way of the Lord. That is like super important. He was the one. So like after John the Baptist was going to be the Lord, the coming one, the stronger one who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. And so John's whole ministry was to prepare people for the coming Lord, for the coming stronger one. And so he called the Jewish nation, he called Israel to repent. That's what his kind of baptism for the forgiveness of sins was all about. And he was basically trying to make ready the nation of Israel for the coming Lord who was going to kind of bring salvation to them, who was going to bring down God's new kingdom on earth. John was preparing people for that. So that's like the first important thing that, that John did. What we then also read in the beginning of Mark's gospel is that John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, which seems weird because why would Jesus need to be baptized for because he's, he's sinless and all of that stuff. We're not going to like wrestle with those questions now. But in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Heaven was like really involved. The heavens split open, a voice cries from heaven, the spirit descends from heaven. What happens when John baptizes Jesus is Jesus' heavenly anointing for his ministry. And Jesus knows that. And I think that's why Jesus kind of says, like, that's why the issue of John's baptism is so important for Jesus, because Jesus knows that with John's baptism, A, John was preparing the whole nation for the coming king, for like the coming Christ, the one who's going to save Israel. But B, when Jesus went under John's baptism, Jesus himself was anointed to be that coming Lord, that coming saviour. So, the issue of authority for Jesus is tightly wound up in John's baptism. John the Baptist is so relevant to this question of authority and who Jesus is because he prepares the way for the Lord and Jesus is that Lord. One of the commentators, this is like a kind of side note um, or like a footnote, one of the commentators, Mourner Hooker, uh, <laughs> quite a funny name, <laughs> anyway, um, points out this really awesome thing with Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and so that the quote that we read in the beginning about preparing the way for the Lord the messenger going ahead that is partly a quote from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 so Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 see I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me that's the bit about John the Baptist and then the second half of verse 1 and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and this is like pretty deep it's pretty cryptic whether or not mark meant it or not we don't know but this just completely reinforces the idea that jesus is the lord because the lord that you seek will come into the temple john the baptist has been preparing the way and now jesus has come into the temple and so it's just further emphasizing underlying the fact that jesus authority comes through the fact that he is the son of god that is why the question of John the Baptist's baptism, whether it came from heaven or was of human origin, that's why it's so important.
Having now hopefully established a little bit more about why John the Baptist was so important to Jesus' authority, uh, we can now turn to the third and final question. Why did Jesus respond to the chief priests, the scribes and the elders with a question? Why didn't he just answer the question straight up? Like, what's going on here? And at first glance, like, Jesus is being sneaky. This is a, an interpretation that is so widely propagated, that's so widely preached, that Jesus is just like being really clever, trying to avoid arrest by evading their question, by asking another one, never giving a straight answer. And I mean, there's like, there's some truth in that, I guess. But okay, so when we properly investigate it, when we properly like dive deeper into the text, we'll see these things aren't obvious to the natural reader. So I never would have had an idea about these things if I hadn't researched it. Uh, I wouldn't expect you to have an idea about these things either, I guess. But firstly, to ask a question back in response to a first question is a typical rabbinic teaching technique. And so the rabbis, the Jewish teachers at the time, if they were asked a question by their pupils, they would answer with another question. And normally that question, the answer to the rabbi's question would help the pupils to answer the pupils' questions. So if the pupils could answer the rabbi's question, they would then have a clue to answer their own question. This is actually really important. It's not just a bit of trivia. This is really important because Jesus, in asking a question back, he's assuming authority over the Sanhedrin, the supreme Jewish court. He is taking on the teacher role. He assumes the authority over them. That's huge. They're like, Jesus, where does your authority come from? And Jesus shows them his greater authority by asking another question back and taking on that role of teacher, superior, over them. It's crazy. Jesus is a, a genius for doing that. And it's just case in point as to Jesus' higher authority. But the second reason that Jesus asks a question as his answer is because the answer to Jesus' question is also the answer to the chief priests, the scribes and the elders question. Jesus does answer the question. He doesn't avoid the question. He doesn't evade the question. Jesus does actually answer the chief priests, scribes, elders question. He just does it in a riddle form. He's trying to tease out of the religious leaders the answer to the question to see if they'll get it, to see if they'll try and understand it. Because we know that John's baptism, it came from heaven. And so if John's baptism came from heaven, then he was the like divinely ordained messenger who pointed to Jesus as Lord. And so if you accept that John's baptism is from heaven, then you also have to accept John the Baptist's message that Jesus is the Lord who he was pointing to. So by answering their question by asking, did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? Jesus, and I love the sass at the end of that, he asks this question and then he's like, answer me it's because he wants to try and tease the answer out of them he wants to give them a chance to say oh the baptism of john that's a hard word to say baptism actually it's not the baptism of john came from heaven he wants them to say that because then that will point to him being the lord that's the answer to where jesus gets his authority from from heaven he's the son of god he's divinely ordained but this puts the chief priests scribes and elders in a bit of a problem and we read that they kind of argue about it by themselves in verse 31. And uh, this verb that's used in the Greek, dialogizomai, is used seven times in Mark. And all of the seven times in Mark that this is used, it's used to describe people who are 
hiding from Jesus' authority, who are trying to think of ways that they can not submit to Jesus' higher authority. So they are just not interested in answering the question. They're not interested. They've made their minds up about Jesus and they hate him. But Jesus has put them in this predicament because if they say John's baptism was from heaven, then they're accepting John the Baptist as like a legitimate messenger. And what was John's message but that Jesus is Lord? And so if they accept John the Baptist, then they also have to accept Jesus. But no way, (laughs) no way are they going to accept Jesus. So they can't say that. But neither can they say, oh, John the Baptist, he was just like some weird locust-eating loser who was wandering around in the desert. Because John the Baptist was so important to the Jewish nation. Like we read the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem went out to see John. And that's obviously, it's hyperbole, not every single Jerusalemite or Judean person went to see John the Baptist. But a vast majority of them did. A vast majority of Israel held that John the Baptist was a prophet. And so if the Sanhedrin then come out, the chief priests, scribes and elders come out and say, oh, this guy who you all love, we think he was a bit of a jerk and just made everything up and tricked you. That's not going to play well with the people. That's not going to get them good approval ratings. So they can't say that. And they were, they were scared of the crowd. They were afraid of the crowd. It actually says that in Mark's gospel. And so they, they can't do anything. They just say, ah, oh, we don't know. And they lose the battle of wit to Jesus. And in losing the battle of wit to Jesus, this inevitably, it brings Jesus' death closer, to be honest. Because they're like, well, well we can't outwit Jesus. So we're just going to have to... We're just going to have to kill him another way, um, which is a shame for Jesus. But obviously, it's it's a great thing that Jesus dies ultimately in the end, because we know, oh, you know that. But yeah, this passage, it, it seems like such an easy and obvious passage on the surface in a way. Like, oh, Jesus is just evading answering their question because he wants to stay alive for a bit longer. And he knows that answering their question truthfully will kill him. But the truth is that Jesus answers their question. Jesus is really bold. He's still walking around in the temple and he's still answering their question by saying, I get my authority from heaven, if you can be bothered to work that out. And I mean, the beauty is that we don't have to work that out in the same way that the chief priests, scribes and elders and disciples and all the people at the time did, because they've worked it out for us. Mark puts it straight in the gospel. If we read the whole gospel, Jesus has authority from heaven. He's the son of God. And so I guess the closing question for this podcast is what what do we do about that? Do we accept Jesus' authority? And then knowing that we're followers of Jesus, knowing that we belong to him, that we have his same authority, how do we use that authority as well? And these are big questions, challenging questions that get to the heart of who we are as Christians. But they're super important. So, I mean, pray about it. (laughs) I'm for sure going to go away and pray about that and try and figure that out for myself. Um, Yeah, next week, I'm really excited. Hopefully, it won't be another week in hospital for me so we can actually have a podcast next week. We're going to be looking at the pigs in Mark chapter 5. Someone pointed out that with the fig tree episode, that is kind of similar and Jesus seeming to like disrespect nature. Um, so we're going to have a look at that. We're going to explore that a bit of a detour before the weeks after that we carry on in Mark chapter 12. So I hope you have a good week. 
until next time, like, share, subscribe, all of that stuff. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you have Apple Podcasts, go away and give a five-star rating if you think it's a five-star podcast. And until next time, stumble with care. Thank you.